Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we are talking about a potentially hot topic in the world of infinite banking right now. And depending on what news you listen to, you may have heard of this and you may not. Um, But today we're talking about Mass Mutual, and that's a life insurance company. We're talking about whether they are shooting down the infinite banking concept. And why are we talking about this? So I'm just going to give a little bit of intro. And then Bruce, I'm going to have you share your perspective before we jump into exactly what we're going to discuss today. So MassMutual is a top life insurance company, and they're heavily relied upon in the infinite banking space. They're a carrier, a life insurance company under which many people have life insurance policies. And recently, they came out with a memo to their agents against the infinite banking concept. I'm going to paraphrase what they said here. They basically shared that the company doesn't support concepts that promote or present whole life insurance as a personal banking policy that prioritizes maximizing policy cash values and immediate and regular access through policy loans. So it's kind of the main heading of this memo. So today we're going to talk about why an infinite, no, why an insurance carrier would choose to adopt a position like this, uh, why they may, of course, we can't get inside of their mind exactly, but why they may choose to do this, um, why we believe that this does not impact infinite banking and how you as a wise financial steward and as a wealth creator can ensure you're making the best decision. So if you're looking at infinite banking, if you're considering starting or adding to infinite banking right now, and you want to see exactly what you should be watching out for in the infinite banking space, this is the conversation to tune into today. So Bruce, I would love to hear your thoughts um, before we jump into any of those things we're going to unpack today. Yeah, Rachel. So, um, you know, this is going to take a little bit of time to explain uh, let's just talk a little bit about why Mass Mutual may have taken this stance. And remember, this is a this is an interesting uh, situation because, uh, a full disclosure to our audience, we are appointed by Mass Mutual as a on the what they call the broker side, and and uh, a lot of companies, not every company, but a lot of companies have what they call their career agent side or sometimes referred to as a captive side, and they have a broker side. It used to be uh, like some companies, you can't even be a broker. You only have, you can only be a captive. Some of them have both and Mass Mutual has both. So we are actually appointed by them, licensed by them. And the reason is not necessarily that we think they are the, we didn't even think they were the best for the infinite banking concept for a variety of reasons. One of the big reasons was um, we did not believe that they had the best customer service for not only our clients, but for us. Now, that, that actually plays into this explanation because the more a company is processing loans and then also uh, processing paybacks of loans, that is a lot more uh, stress on their customer service. And, and we've actually seen that over the years. It's, it's amazing. People see like the name recognition of these huge companies 
and they think, oh, they must have, they must have great customer service. And um, I've been in the financial service industry since the 80s, and I'm going to tell you right now that the one of the reasons that insurance companies don't necessarily have great customer service, especially the mutual ones, is because they're trying to keep expenses down to a bare minimum. And that is good for the for the uh, policyholders who are part owners of the company. But it also, as we progress, as Nelson had progressed this idea of using PUAs as a way to accelerate the cash value of a policy, then the borrowing against that cash value has caused a lot of these insurance companies to have to have many more people on staff. Now, it also is just the philosophy of MassMutual that they are a utilization company. I'm sorry, excuse me. They are an uh, appreciation company. They just want to help uh, people appreciate assets and then maybe use them in retirement, which is interesting. And we'll get into this a little bit because that's one of the things that they say that they want to make sure that people know this is just an insurance contract and that retirement planning is not part of the insurance law, which is very interesting on some of the statements that they made. So as Nelson Nash, her contract, I, I want to make sure everybody understands this, is Mass Mutual has a contract by in the contractual language says that you can actually borrow against your cash value and pay back the loans. Why do they have it in there? Not necessarily because they want to have it in there, but every state in the United States requires insurance companies have a provision in their contract that says that the clients can borrow against the cash value. Because it's a contractual Because it's a contractual right because of contractual right of policyholder. And if you want to do business in these states, which is all 50 of them, then you must have that provision in the contract. So it's not like Mass didn't know that you could do this. And this is one of the things that is, is being bantered around now by the industry. It's like, why is Mass taking this stance when they actually have products that do early cash value and they also are contractually obligated to borrow, allow people to borrow against the cash value and pay it back. So that is that is the baseline that I want people to understand as we talk about uh, why they may have taken that stance today. Yeah, I think there's so much behind this. I think that potentially, um, I mean, I was thinking maybe only insurance agents are interested in this question. And you brought up this morning that we have clients that are asking us about the same thing. So it's very important to be able to understand how to navigate things, especially when you hear something that's big in the news where it may potentially at first glance look like an insurance company who's often used for infinite banking is turning away from the infinite banking concept or saying, this is a bad thing. So um, today we are going to just kind of unpack a little bit about what was in this memo, but at the same time, this specifically went out to career agents, which we are brokers. So we represent multiple companies. And so we did not personally see the memo directed to ourselves, but at the same time, we are able to speak to this concept, um, and to really the, the general uh, nature of what is happening here. So 
What's very interesting is I I see, Bruce, um, several things that we need to talk about today. And one is why would the insurance company take this stance, especially when they know that it's a contractual um, right of a policyholder to take the loan, especially when they know that infinite banking can do tremendous benefits in people's lives. Um, and then let's talk about what it actually means, what it means for the future of infinite banking, why we think it's not going to be a hit or a, a puncture wound to infinite banking, and then what, as a consumer, you should really be looking out for in this in the infinite banking space altogether. And I think um, I personally see that this raises more issue about maintaining the industry integrity as a whole rather than it does about one insurance company's decision. It's not whether it's moral, uh, right or wrong for this insurance company to make this decision. It's not about the insurance company pronouncing whether infinite banking is right or wrong. What they're looking to do is ultimately, whether the methods were um, good or not, I think ultimately what they're trying to do is protect the integrity of the industry and make sure that consumers are not getting misrepresentation and, and poor information. Yeah. Well, Rachel, uh, th- thanks for bringing that up because I have so many thoughts going through my my head. Um, our regional vice president with Mass Mutual actually brought this to my attention probably two years ago, telling that Mass was not happy with how the oversimplification of this and how uh, certain agents were actually designing the policies, mm-hmm. and then and then not disclosing the risk. So much so that one big person in the industry, they actually did a cease and desist order to him and made him take down all mass mutual illustrations that were on his YouTube channel. And the reason was, is that the, the illustrations, he never showed the fact that it had disclosures on them that showed that there was possible mech situations and there was uh, possible situations where you may have to continue funding the policy in a manner that you weren't told about on the illustration. And so that was the first kind of red flag. And that particular person did take down all the illustrations. And so the problem I see on this whole thing is Mass Mutual has never been in the infinite banking corner like a lot of mutual companies were. Because once again, their their overall financial um, philosophy is just accumulation, accumulation, accumulation into an appreciate, and hopefully it appreciates. And then you're using it for protection, which we love. And that's another thing they said in their memo is not enough people talk about the death benefit. They talk about, you know, um, they don't talk about if you take a loan, it lowers the death benefit, and they're they're afraid that people are going to then come back and say that they were being misled and they really needed the death benefit when that particular person passed. And I've heard people say things like, well, I didn't know that uh, the loan went against the death benefit. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's surprising to me because we probably overteach it, uh, us and our advisors at the Money Advantage, we probably overteach this. Um, the other thing is, is that they're they're denouncing they're not really denouncing IBC what they're denouncing is a design that really isn't even IBC and that is yeah. a really skinny base policy which we 
which is really prevalent in the industry now and being marketed as IBC, which it, if you, if you look, buy the book, Nelson Nash, Becoming Your Own Banker, the first thing he says is don't be afraid to capitalize. The second thing he says is think long-term. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, don't be afraid to capitalize is one thing. You know, if you put $100,000 in a whole life contract, but only 10000 goes to the base because within two weeks, you want to borrow against that 100000 up to 90000 then you're not necessarily thinking long-term. You're thinking about tomorrow. You're thinking, you're thinking about, about tomorrow. the very next day. As soon as the cash clears, how can I get this money out? How can I redline the policy, run it as hard as possible, max loans, not paying them back? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they're really against. That's exactly right. Now, let me give you a little background on Nelson was not particularly fond of insurance companies because he said they don't get it either. They have these products and many of home office people, Nelson said, don't even really understand their products. And um, I would say that's true to some extent. Um, there are really good people at home office that understand the products very, very well. Uh, and almost all of the mutual companies that we have either been appointed by or have explored the possibility of being appointed by, probably close to 15. And I go to uh, several conferences a year and I continually talk to the vice presidents, the presidents, the CFOs of these companies to see if maybe somebody's coming out with something better and talk to them about their customer service and, and so on and so forth. And the one thing I can say is there's only one mutual company out there that actually will use IBC on their website. And the other ones have told me that they too are afraid, they support it, but they're afraid that there's too many agents out there that they cannot oversee on a daily basis that are doing the things that Mass is saying, we're not going to put up with this with our career agents because we feel like they're misleading the public. If they mislead the public, then what's going to end up happening is there's a higher likelihood that their policies are going to lapse. Mm-hmm. And there's a higher likelihood that the death benefit for the heirs is not going to be what they were expecting it to be. And yes. they were, and think about this. If you have a policy, you might understand that, oh, yeah, it's the death benefit's going to go down if I have a loan against it, but you're dead now. So now your heirs take this and you and your father might have said, I have a $2 million death benefit, but your father actually borrowed against the, the death benefit a million dollars and didn't pay the loan back. And so now the heirs only get $1 million. And so now they're going to go to the insurance company and said, my father was misled. He told us we had a million dollar policy and we only got a million dollars. Well, they're going to say to they're going to say to them, well, yes, but your father borrowed a million dollars out, which is which is true, but they're going to then be able to claim, well, he didn't know that's how it worked, and now that person's dead, and they're not going to be able to defend the fact that yes, I did know that's how it's worked. So, insurance companies legally are worried about this. Some insurance companies in the past, and I haven't seen it lately, they've t- actually taken it off their illustrations, have actually put on there this is not a bank on their mm. insurance illustrations. Now, recently they've taken it off, so they must feel legally um, 
that they're okay. And the final thing before we move on is, you know, Nelson always said that this strategy can be used with a variety of financial vehicles. So it is not the company that's important. The strategy is what's important. It's not necessarily what the product is, but how you're designing the product to for the strategy. And I'm just going to give you an example. Nelson used to always say, because he would get upset at home office personnel for this thing, this is not a bank. And Nelson says, we are just calling the process of saving money and utilizing money a banking process. But yes, we know it's not a bank because if Nelson was a pilot and when he wanted to turn left or right, he said you had to actually bank the plane. And he said, so pilots don't have to disclose like I'm turning left, but it's a bank. But we want you to know that it's not a place where we're saving money in the airplane. (laughs) He used to joke about that all the time. And then he would say, I would go down to the river and I would stand on the bank. But then when bo- boats would come through, he, he said, I wouldn't have to say, hey, boat, I'm standing on a bank, but it's not a place where I s- save money. So <laughs> he was actually years ago fighting with the insurance companies that, yes, we're, we're using this as a concept. That's why it says, you know, the, the infinite banking concept, we are not telling people this is a bank. The insurance company is a bank. Matter of fact, when we tell, talk to people, we say, you know, there's, there's different financial institutions. There's hedge funds, there's endowments, there's security companies, there's traditional banks, and there's insurance companies. You, you store money in all of these financial institutions. So we're just telling people, we're going to use, instead of a traditional bank, we're going to use an insurance company to store our money. And then they allow us to borrow against the cash value. So our people know, and that's one of the first things I say to them is, you know, this is a whole life contract. It's funny, you get out on the internet and a lot of times people are like, yeah, we have this great concept that's 7702 approved by the tax code. And, and they go on and on and they never actually talk about it being an insurance contract. So this is the type of things that um, Mass Mutual is worrying about. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit of a background on how Nelson felt about it and how terminology in the legal world, that's why they worry about terminology. I think this whole thing is, a, you know, it's a wake-up call in a lot of ways. And just a few of my thoughts on why would an insurance company take this stance? I mean, just in general, the insurance company is wanting to make sure that insurance is truly insurance, that people are insured who need a death benefit. They, they yes, have whole life policies, which do have that cash value, which is like equity inside the policy. They can access and use, but they want to make sure that the sales practices are clean, that they're um, fully disclosing, that they're educational, that people understand what they're purchasing. And there's a lot of ways that you can go about enforcing that. But the challenge is, every insurance agent should be upstanding, fully disclosing. They should be giving you all the information. They should make sure you're fully understanding. But there's, unfortunately, there can be such a 
desire to just, you know, have a lot of policy sales. And so the marketing goes up and marketing, well, what do you do with marketing? It's usually to attract attention, right? It's not to be fully disclosing, to tell everything. It's usually just to get attention. So if marketing then oversimplifies and then the, and if, uh, this is all if, a hypothetical situation, if marketing is oversimplified to get someone's attention and then infinite banking is very popular right now. Lots of people are looking for information. People are jump popping up all over the place, new agents, new people marketing and representing. So there's competition in that space to say, well, how can I attract the attention and the eyeballs of people who are interested in infinite banking? And what can happen is this seduction towards oversimplification that sounds really good and then presenting only the bare bones information, only what you think the consumer wants to know most but there's a fiduciary responsibility and a moral obligation to make sure that they actually know what they're purchasing. So if you're going through that process and then you have super short meetings where you're not disclosing information and all you're saying is, you know, we've talked about this before, four minute meetings and and you say, how much premium do you want to put in? What's your age? I'm going to send you a policy. And if, again, this is all stuff that happens in the industry, unfortunately, then if you get not a full illustration, but a, um, abbreviated version. So they leave off the first pages and the last pages with all the disclosures and all the, the stuff that explains the policy. And you just get the two pages that show you what your policy cash values are. And if you make a huge focus on just selling based on the dividend and which company has the highest dividend and you make that your number one focus, well, those things can unfortunately feel really, really important if you're beginning to get into infinite banking. And if you are a seller or an agent in the infinite banking space. The problem is this muddies the water. It makes it difficult for consumers to figure out, well, who do I actually listen to? Who is telling me the right information? How am I going to get a policy that lasts? How am I going to make sure this is set up properly? How do I make sure it's not just a flash in the pan policy? And so the insurance company is looking at all of this happening and recognizing if people are putting in too much premium dollars because they don't understand what they're really doing, then it's not sustainable. They're going to end up canceling policies. That's bad for the insurance company when policies lapse. And when you have a high, uh, what's the rate? What's the name of that? Um, it's a rate that they measure, uh, attrition rate maybe, um, but it's like when Persist- you have- Persistency rate. Yeah. So if you have, just let's say you write a hundred policies, but 50 of them lapse in two years, that's a very poor persistency rate. And nobody wants that because that's bad for the insurance company. It's bad for- It's bad the for the financials it's yeah. bad for the financials of the insurance company, but it's also bad for their their reputation. Yes. So you just look at that whole picture where then agents, life insurance agents, people selling infinite banking, and the people consuming the, the purchasers, the policyholders, are putting such an emphasis on just the cash value. How quick can I get this cash value? How can I get the money into the policy? How quick can I pull the money back out? How can I run this policy as hard as possible? All of those factors lead up to problems. And so really, if you if you step back from the words of the memo, and you step back from the emotion of the memo, and you really look at what's happening, what I see is an insurance company saying, hey, wait, look, we need to be fully disclosing. We need to tell about this is actually life insurance. This has a death benefit. The reason to buy life insurance is to protect your family and to leave a legacy. All the other pieces are features of how it works and they're extremely advantageous. But if you make the, the 
the side benefits, the main thing, you're missing the point of what life insurance is really all about. Yeah. So uh, first of all, this this must have been a, a interesting um, topic today because we have a lot of listeners today. And thank you for all your comments. If you have any questions, we we'd love to hear them, uh, and we'll discuss and questions. Them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some um, questions. Yes. Uh, here's what's interesting um, because a lot of times you're you're hearing out on the internet when it comes to marketing is people said I have figured all this out. And if if somebody's not doing a a ten percent base ninety percent um, PUA policy, the only reason that they're pushing the base up is because they're making more commissions. Now hold on, just make sure you heard that Bruce said if people are saying this, this is not our position. Just clear, right? <laughs> and so so people are saying this out on the internet, and they're saying we figured it all out. You know, it's it should be ten percent base because that way we're drawing down the commissions. And you're going to reap all the benefits of the extra money that would be going to commissions, and you're going to have immediate access. Well, Mass Mutual is saying, no, we don't like that design, and so we're not going to allow it anymore. And here's, the, here's what I find interesting. Insurance companies are in the business of getting premium. Okay, so they want premium to come in. And yet they do not want premium to come in for just, the, for just the fact that premium comes in. They want premium to come in the right way. Mm-hmm. So they're actually giving up capital. Now let's think about the stance of a, of a well-trained IBC practitioner that sees that a 10% base and a 90% PUA actually can cause problems in the future, because you're not thinking long-term, if you borrow against and you don't have a, a good plan to pay back, and I'm telling you, Rachel, people have plans to pay back. I've done this since the 80s, and people always say, oh, I'm going to pay back. I just had a client today, this morning, who's doing $1,500 a month saying, oh, my expenses went up. I need to, I need to, my payback to my loan, I need to lower it from $1,500 a month to $600 a month. And I, I text them back and I said, now, remember, you're stealing the peas and you ha- you've got to develop good ha- money habits. And the good money habits are pay yourself first and then spend. He texts me back and he says, you're right. Uh, I can't do 1500 but let's do 1250 instead of 600 And so this is, what, this is a, a infinite banking person like ourselves, certified practitioners, know the pitfalls, not only the, the mathematical financial pitfalls, but also the human habit pitfalls. Mm-hmm. And you need somebody that's going to be servicing you and advising you along the way. So what I find interesting is, you know, we, we have people that come in and say, well, I know you guys are IBC people and you don't really agree with a 10% base, 90% PUA, but I still want to do it like that. And I'm, and I say, sorry, I'm sorry. There's too many pitfalls. You're going to have to go somewhere else. And then people say, well, the only reason you want to do a 30 or 40% base or 50 or 60% base is you get, you get paid more. Well, we're giving up commissions when we tell people we're not going to do a 10% base. So if it's all about commissions, then why are we giving up those commissions by telling the person we won't do it this way? Just like mass is saying, 
we are not going to allow this. We don't care if we're giving up premium. We're not going to allow this. So this has been boiling up for a while. And you're exactly right. Mass has decided there's too many people getting in the industry. And for them, they can control the career side. The broker side's a little bit more difficult for them. And they really don't worry too much about it because on the broker side, you might just have a couple of policies a year from the broker side, but the career, that's all they're doing. They're only writing mass mutual. So it's really about a philosophy that they see in the industry that they don't agree with. Now to say they don't agree with IBC is not really, they don't really understand. And it's just the simplest way for them to take a stance and say, if you're marketing 1090 as IBC, then we're just going to say, you can't market IBC. Mm-hmm. But that's not truly IBC. Well, I design. think they don't have control over what people call infinite banking, right? So the insurance company doesn't Correct. have the ability to enforce, well, you're not doing IBC correctly, but you are. So you who's doing it correctly, according to the classical definition that Nelson Nash started, you can do infinite banking, but you over here on the fringes trying to make all these changes to the initial design, you can't do infinite banking. I mean, the insurance company would have absolutely no way to monitor that. And unfortunately, um, I think this makes it harder for the people who are doing the right thing in the industry. But at the same time, I think it's a, what I see is a warning in some ways. And I hesitate to even use that word because I don't want you to be alarmed. It's a warning to consumers to say, I really need to pay attention to the information I'm getting. Is this accurate information or is it not? Am I being misled or am I not? And so I think um, as much as we could talk here, I think what what I want to just share real quick is what we think it means for the future of infinite banking and then what you should actually watch out for. I want to jump into that. Um, For the future of infinite banking, I think that it really means that the agents that are the agents and the producers, I like that word better, but producers that are working with infinite banking that are um, doing the right thing, that have the right standards and the knowledge and the skill, that's extremely important. And that's going to be a really determining factor um, for who is the the people you want to go to. Um, education is critical so that you understand the decisions you're making and you are actually empowered. You're not being blinded. You're not being led down a path to think that to think one thing, but you're being sheltered from all of the rest of the information because it's too overwhelming. Um, and I think it also for the future of infinite banking in general, it's it's separating out who's really focused on just marketing and sales and high profile visibility and who's really focused on doing the right thing. And ultimately, we believe that when you do the right thing, that pays dividends. It just might take longer to get there. Yeah. Um Go ahead, Bruce. Let's, let's clarify this a little bit. This isn't unique to the insurance uh, industry. Oh, amen. <laughs> so example, and I'm sure our listeners could uh, take this example. So, you know, you might have a coupon in the, in the paper that says, come to this auto repair place for an oil change for $10.99. And, you know, since I... Grew up with my father owning the Shell station, and I also owned my own auto repair place for a while. Um, this is what's commonly called a lost leader. So you're going to get the person in for $10.99. You're going to get them up on the rack. You're going to do your 50-point inspection, 
And then you're going to come back to them and say, oh, well, we also saw this, this, and this. You need to get this correct, corrected. Now, most of the time for well-intentioned people, it's, it's, it's a very helpful um, uh, check on the car, you know, the brakes and uh, other fluids and so on and so forth. But, but for other people, it's just a way to get the car in and say, well, you need new tires. And then, and, they, and then you say, well, I thought my tires were okay. Well, no, you only have, you know, uh, 100 miles left on this tread when you actually might have 3,000 miles left on the tread. It's just a, it's a sales technique. Same mm-hmm. thing happens in a grocery store. There's a reason they put the milk and the eggs all the way in the back corner of a grocery store. Or, and there's a reason why they have coupons all the time. And they'll, or they'll have uh, a buy 10, get 10 for a dollar kind of situation. They're trying to entice you to get into the store. And the good ones then are going to give you some nice services. But there are ones that are going to get you in the store there, but they're going to raise the price of everything else just so that they can lower it and say it's a sale. So my point on all this is this is not unique to the insurance industry. And so I think the next segment that we're going to talk here about, Rachel, is what you should look out for. Yes. Yes. So um, I kind of came up with eight things that would be really helpful to you as a infinite banking I don't like the word consumer. If you are about to be the owner of an infinite banking policy or you're considering becoming an owner of an infinite banking policy or starting an infinite banking system for yourself and your family, here are some things that would be really important for you to hear behind this conversation. It's not really about is infinite banking right or wrong? I mean, for the right people, it's a powerful tool. It's not about whether in certain insurance company is making the right or wrong decision. Yes, we could sit here and judge mass mutual all day long. That's not going to benefit you in any way as a consumer. But what you need to know is how do I take this information? How do I look at what's behind the scenes and take out of this what's really most important so that I can make decisions that are going to benefit me and benefit my family for generations to come? And the very first thing, I mean, we've alluded to all of these already, but I would say is watch out for sales tactics versus, and here's how you know it's not a sales tactic. It's education, it's knowledge and disclosure. And that's really important because when you have hidden information or you're presented with spreadsheets instead of illustrations, or when you're presented with a part of an illustration where, where the front pages and the back pages are chopped off and it starts on page seven instead of page one, you're like, well, why, why? what's missing here. And then when it ends on page 12 out of 24, instead of on 24 out of 24, you know what's happening. Um, Or when you are sold on the basis of dividend rates, or when you're sold on the basis of how much early cash value day one, when you put dollars into the, into the policy, how high can we push that percentage? Um, I'm thinking of like a, um, a thermometer, the mercury level in the thermometer, how high can we push that all the way up to the top to get as much high early cash value so that you can pull that right out right away. Those are sales tactics. And what's interesting, Bruce, you mentioned this earlier, that the concept is more important than the product. A lot of the reason why in this public format, we do not share a lot of illustrations and we don't share a lot of numbers is because the numbers don't matter unless you understand the concept. And the concept is extremely critical. And unless you understand the concept, you have no business even looking at any of the numbers because the concept is about how do you store capital and how do you be able to be in a position to have 
savings that last for a long time? How do you have those savings do as many things for you as possible? How do you have life insurance that passes on to the next generation so that you can create even generational wealth through using this powerful tool that is life insurance? So we realize that being able to have all of that concept is so much more important than looking at a particular number that's going to make one illustration outperform another illustration or one company look better than the other. Those are um, side details. Those are distractions from really understanding, having the true education, the knowledge, and the disclosure to be able to make decisions. So, Rachel, I just this is one of the things that um, selling dividends was one of the things Mass Mutual was really not happy with because they feel like people are talking about Mass Mutual's dividend of six percent, and then before the the recent uptick in borrowing cost from the insurance company was 4% at Mass Mutual. The the agents were saying, look, you're making 6% and you're borrowing four, at 4%, so you're making 2%. Not explaining that the 6% is a gross number and the fees and the cost of insurance has to come out of that. It doesn't, you don't get credited 6% yes. in your cash value. So, that was that was definitely selling the dividend was something that Mass Mutual did not like. Yes. So, I mean, there's so much more that we could unpack there, but I think all of us have a, a sense or an intuition in some ways, whether we're being misled or swindled or whether we're really having a true relationship with someone that is being fully disclosing. So I'll leave that up to your own um, judgment on that. The next thing to watch out for is beware of transaction style relationships. And we've mentioned this so many times on the show as well. And earlier today, um, this is when you're treated as a number, when your name doesn't matter, your children don't matter, your your whether you have grandkids or not doesn't matter, whether you have five homes or one home, wh- where you live doesn't matter, when your goals for the future don't matter, when no one's asking you questions about what is really important to you and why are you wanting to implement infinite banking, what are you ultimately trying to accomplish right now and in the future? When those questions are not being asked, that's not a true relationship that can really serve you to the greatest capacity. And so um, when you have limited conversations or short timeframes, and I, I can't believe, I mean, I heard of a four minute meeting. I'm like, well, that would be really nice and efficient if I could run four minute meetings, because then you could, uh, I mean, how many, how many is that in an hour? I can't even do the math quick enough, but, uh, like 30, right. Or no, it's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of meetings. I'm like, man, it's, we could... it's 15. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> you go back to fifth grade math here for a second. Um, No, but I think it's just, it's fascinating to realize how um, there is a time component required if you are going to really build a relationship. And so beware of transaction style relationships. Bruce, anything you want to add to that? No, it's it just happened again to one of our clients, uh, our potential clients. They haven't done anything yet because we're, you know, we go, we have several meetings, but he said he, he felt weird because, you know, the person said, um, how much money do you have liquid available now? And the person said, I have about $80,000. And they said, and then they said, oh, okay. So what we can do is we can put like $50,000 on a single premium. And then we could do 20,000 a year for the next, you know, 10 years. And the person just said, uh, okay. And then he got off the phone with them and he thought, the person doesn't even know if I can do 20,000 a year. 
And it was really bothersome to him, which I'm glad it was because then he reached out to us and, you know, we take a full financial picture. We ask them what they're trying to accomplish, everything that you were, you had already mentioned on this. And we want to make sure that the savings amount or what we call, or what the insurance company calls premium, because that's what it is. You're buying a life insurance policy is the right amount for you to do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be sustainable for you and your family. Now there's, there's ways to adjust that if necessary, but we really need to have a lot of uh, have a lot of questions to help you figure out what that is. So, what's the next one? Um, recognize that illustrations are projections, not predictions. Oh. And uh, I just want to make sure that I'm clarifying and articulating that so that it comes through clearly. They are projections. They're projecting an assumption into the future based on everything that's happening today. They are not predictions of what exactly will happen 30 and 40 and 50 years from now. And it is way too easy to make that switch and take an illustration as a prediction of what exactly will happen. And on that basis, take this piece of paper with a lot of numbers and compare three or four or five illustrations from different companies and say, well, in year 62 of this policy, this policy will outperform this policy by X number of dollars based on an illustration. Bruce, I would love to have you um, finish that piece. Well, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Um, This happens all the time. And, you know, a a person will come to us and we'll have a conversation and then they they don't disclose, mm. and I don't. I mean, that's that's their prerogative not to disclose. Well, they'll say, well, we got an illustration from this company, and it shows X, Y, or Z, and this one after thirty years, it's actually beats it that we're, you're showing it. And then I'll say to them, yeah, but the one thing I can tell you is neither one of these illustrations is going to have that number after thirty years. Now I don't say it's going to be less. It could be more, but what affects it will be the amount of fees, the death benefit, how much that you're actually borrowing against and paying back, how soon you pay it back, and how the policies are designed to maximize how many dividends you get. And that is an eye open for a lot of people. Uh, It really is. So yes, you can get a lot of cash value early and it can actually show that it's going to grow. But then if dividends do change in the future, which like I said, the only thing they can do is change after 30 years, it could go up, it could go down. We frankly think that they're going to go up in the near future. And if they go up in the near future, then you need a design that's going to capture that. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should, we should say potentially capture that. Because we don't know for sure if they're going to go up, but logic would say, and his and historicals would say that they're going to go up because they're they're interest rate driven and interest rates have gone up. So you're never going to be able to compare two illustrations. And if you're, well, you said it earlier, if you don't understand the concepts, the numbers don't matter. And if you understand the concepts, the numbers don't matter. All you need is a good advisor to explain to you how the potential is on those numbers, but the money habits are what's the most important part of this and the availability of cash. You know, I just had a um, thought for a second here. I think it would be really beneficial to any of our listeners, especially if you haven't um, listened to previous shows, 
to know right here that Bruce and I, both of our families own a tremendous amount of whole life insurance ourselves. So the reason I share that is that I believe in this concept because A, when we first came to infinite banking, we realized we were storing money in gold and silver. We realized that was volatile and we were needing access to cash at the time that the value was about half of what we paid for it. Not a good position to be in. We lost basically half of our savings at that point. We had viewed it as long-term savings. We realized, hey, we really have a need for liquidity and access much earlier. And so that was part of my husband and I's decision to move over and store capital in whole life insurance. We tremendously value the death benefit. I almost died about four, three and a half years ago now after delivering my second daughter. And because of that, I realized probably earlier than many people that our, our lives, we don't have a, um, you know, we don't know exactly how long we'll live. And that ability to protect our family for whenever that date happens is extremely beneficial. Now, both of those factors considered, I also have policies that are 40, 60 design. We talked about this in our um, Marshall Family Bank update recently, but they're not designed for maximum early cash value. They're designed for also long-term growth. So I think um, we'll bring up right here, um, I'm going to jump to number eight, Bruce. So balance your priorities. This is another thing to really watch out for in in the infinite banking space, especially if you're about to get started with an infinite banking policy. You want to balance multiple priorities. One is having accessible cash value, but that's not the only priority. It's one priority. Another priority is long-term growth. And that's thinking how much will dividends affect me in the future? And as Bruce, you were talking about earlier, a lot of dividends are applied more heavily to base than to the paid up addition. Um, We've shown that also in previous episodes. So you're balancing accessible cash value all along the life of the policy, not just today, but all along the life of the policy, plus long-term growth. How much am I going to be able to capture a growth in dividends or a, a rise in dividends? And then I'm also balancing death benefit, which we believe that you should have your full human life value, as much life insurance as you can get, because you probably won't be able to put this all into a whole life policy. We believe that most people should have term policies to supplement that so that you can maximize the legacy that you leave behind. So you're balancing all of those priorities. It's not just about one thing. Bruce, anything you want to add to that piece? No, I think um, if people have more questions about this, I, like I said, I, uh, I think I believe I said this earlier in the podcast. Um, you know, I had talked to several of our clients yesterday about this, and uh, you know, it's understandable to be concerned. I would just like to say that, you know, these companies have, they have contractual products. That's why we like it. Okay. Because it's it's per contract. They're going to grow guaranteed way. Per contract, you can access it. It's just one company is taking a stance against certain policy designs and access that they don't particularly appreciate. And they're not gonna. They're not gonna allow it. Other companies uh, have a lot more. I would say the ones that aren't career companies, they have a lot more um, flexibility on how they can train their agents, stay atop of their agents, so on and so forth, because they may be slightly smaller than Mass Mutual 
And so they have a better uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on in their agencies. So this is what you rely on people that have a lot of experience in the insurance agency in, industry to differentiate between these types of things. Are we going to continue to be um, appointed by Mass Mutual? My guess is yes, because we are not doing the things that they do not like. Um, and so we'll continue to use it. I am going, though, to go to one of my former, because the reason we normally use Mass Mutual is because they are not every insurance company is appointed in every state or licensed in every state. And Mass Mutual is New York. A lot of companies don't like to be uh, in the state of New York for very strict regulations. It's very difficult to do business in New York, the state of New York. So a lot of companies just choose not to, to be in that state. So that's why we use Mass. We don't think all of our clients that have Mass Mutual, we do our best to service them. But as I said earlier, Mass um, does not have that kind of idea of wanting to have the service for uh, borrowing and paying back, borrowing and paying back, borrowing and paying back. So I'm probably going to go back to another company that is in New York for our New York clients because they do, they, it's not on our website, but they do embrace the infinite banking concept. As a matter of fact, I will see their vice president of marketing um, at the think tank in about three, um, three weeks. And I'm sure I'm going to talk to them about uh, coming back to them. And um, there's a reason why we actually left them is because their algorithms, if you don't, if you don't use their products every six months, they make you reapply to be an agent with them and so on and so forth. And so they have some administrative nightmares for us. I'm just pulling back the curtain and telling people on the podcast, there's all kinds of administrative nightmares that we have to do, not only for the companies, but for the regulators. And so that's why you need some experience, some experienced people. And, you know, uh, we have a whole team that has been doing this for years and years and years. And that's why we know these little intricacies. I love that you shared that. Um, I'm going to run through these other four real quick, um, just because I think they're beneficial. So um, we'll call this number five. Um, Know that you're buying life insurance. So when you purchase life insurance, you're buying life insurance. Um, (laughs) It's to protect your family. There's a death benefit. There's the benefit of accessible equity, but don't get it backwards. Don't think I'm just buying a banking policy where I put money in and I can borrow against it. There, I mean, that's a benefit. It's a, it's a way that you can use a policy. However, you're buying life insurance. It has death benefit. That death benefit is tremendously advantageous, whether or not you take policy loans. Now we think that it's beneficial to use policy loans, but that's not the main point of life insurance. Um, number six, understand the primary benefits of life insurance are long-term. They're not short-term. So you need to have a policy design that's sustainable, that doesn't mech and turn into a taxable um, and uh, taxable account. You don't think of it as an investment. There are no returns inside of the life insurance policy. It's not about how much I put in versus how much cash value I have and what my rate of return is. It's very difficult to calculate that on a short-term basis anyways inside of a life insurance contract. 
But the primary benefits are long-term, which is exactly what Nelson Nash said when he foresaw probably all of this in his very prophetic and um, innovative way, way back when he wrote Becoming Your Own Banker and when he started using his whole life policies, which by the way, he bought because of life insurance. He didn't think about the cash value purchase or the cash value accessibility until he'd already had these policies for a long time. And all of a sudden he realized, oh my goodness, I can access the cash in these. And that is the, the thing that he made available to more people and made more public, but he didn't buy them for that purpose. He bought them because of the protection component. Um, the number, I can't remember my numbers because I mixed them all around. I think we're on number seven, um, fund them prudently. So fund your infinite banking policies prudently. This is a way to store your savings in a safe, liquid, and growing holding tank or storage unit, if you will, for savings. However, we really caution against thinking about this as a place to run all of your income through because this isn't a place to pay all of your expenses out of. It's not a um, quick magic debt payoff strategy. There's a lot of things that I think infinite banking has been marketed that it's not ideally designed to do. And really you want to think about not just funding what sounds good right now, but what's sustainable over the long term for your family. And yeah, you just so good let's savings just, habits let's, to start. Yeah, with. let's just clarify that a little bit because Nelson actually talks about that in his book, where you can run your entire income into a policy first. Life insurance companies will not allow that. They only usually allow about 25%. So then why did Nelson bring it up? Well, Nelson's talking about that's the that's the goal down the road after you've built up a lot of assets that you can then live off those assets while you're taking your income and capitalizing. Remember, don't be afraid to capitalize. But when people are talking about this, another thing that mass mutual doesn't like is they're just talking about putting all your income in and then borrowing against it. And that is not the intention of what Nelson says in his book. What he, he says that once you build up all these assets that you would actually have the ability to access outside of your policy, you can then put more capitalization into a policy that could frankly look like all your income. So it's a little um, nuance there, mm-hmm. but people are taking advantage of the nuance to tell people to do things. And that's another reason why Mass Mutual doesn't want this to continue. And then finally, Rachel? Yes. And finally, be a good steward of loans. So just like if you took out a credit card and your balance or your um, credit limit on that credit card was $100,000, the the um, credit rating agencies would not like to see you taking a $100,000 loan and keeping it maxed at that for a long time. They like to see, I think, what is it about 30% utilization rate on credit cards. You want to be a good steward of loans that you have. You don't want to max out all of your loans and you don't want to keep them outstanding for a really long time. You really always want to take capital out of a policy with a repayment strategy. You want to have an amortization schedule, uh, a time frame that you plan to repay that loan, including the interest and the principal. And you want to have that set so that it automatically deducts from your account because you want to be a good steward. You want to store this capital in a way that you have the ability to access it again if needed. If you run a maximum policy loan and don't repay it, 
Think about this. You no longer have the access to cash because you already use the access to cash. So yes, it is a tool for being able to access cash and cash value, but you want to make sure you're a very good steward and paying back those loans. Um, I see we have a question that came in. Bruce, do you want yeah, to I'm take actually, that? I didn't I'm read actually, it yet. Yeah, I'm actually uh, was t- typing an answer to him. So Keith, I think what you're asking is, you know, the uh, and all the insurance companies have increased their borrowing rates. And that makes sense because if you, you notice home loans have gone up and you've noticed car loans have gone up and credit cards have gone, all borrowing costs have gone up. And so uh, most of the insurance companies use what's called the Moody Bond Interest. Uh, bond index, excuse me, Moody Bond Index, which is a a conglomerate of a bunch of bonds to set their borrowing rates. And there's a couple of reasons why they do this. One is they want to, they want to maintain a competitive rate. Okay. But they don't want that rate. And why do they want, excuse me, why do they want it to be competitive? Because they're beholden to make as much money as possible for the policyholders. So <laughs> this, is, this is a discussion that happens all the time. It's like, well, why, why should I borrow money when I have cash and borrow against this? I don't think there's anything wrong with using cash and not borrowing against your policy. So Keith, that's my first uh, answer, but I don't understand your full financial picture. So take this with a little bit of a grain of salt, because we really should have a discussion about what your goals are and so on and so forth. But it's also okay to borrow against the policy, even at a higher rate, because we believe the collateral, your cash value in the near future, I'm not predicting it's going to be this year, but I do believe in the near future, because historically, the dividend rise has always come after the borrowing rate rise. It's, it's always happened like that because insurance companies are like, yeah, let's uh, move this a little bit and see what happens because we don't want people rushing to their insurance policies, taking out max loans, and then go put it into an investment in the bank now because all of a sudden the banks are paying more in their situation. This is what happened in the early 80s. And this is why a lot of companies had to demutualize in the early 80s because inflation got rampant and there were guaranteed products out there, CDs, structured notes, so on and so forth. And they could actually borrow against the policy in the 80s at maybe five, six, seven percent, put it in a CD that was making 12, 12 and a half percent. So at that time, they, the, they did not have a way to raise the amount that would offset the borrowing costs. Now they can do that, okay? So Keith, to answer your question, hey, if you feel better, I tell this all the time, if you feel better, use your cash. But remember what Nelson said, you're always paying interest. You're either giving up interest or you're paying interest. So don't think... Just using cash is saving you some kind of financial miracle. Okay, you're giving up the ability to to actually make money on that. If you have uninterrupted compounding, 
Correct. And you're, if you haven't fully funded your policy, this is why I don't know, Keith, the answer. If you maybe haven't fully funded your PUAs from previous years, I would say that's the first thing you should do then with your savings is fully fund the PUA and then borrow against the new cash value that you have. Once again, though, for full disclosure, I don't know your situation. If you want to have a conversation about this, even if you're not a money advantage client, we would be, we would be glad to discuss this with you. So two last things here, and I'll bring us to a close. So one is Juan Velasquez brings in here, it's easier to sell a short-term infinite banking concept. I love your statement right there. It's so easy to address. Um, then it is to sell tax-free income in retirement. Uh, let's just say, yes, anything that's easier to do doesn't make it right. And if you just focus on short-term, of course, that's easier. If you're a marketing person, and I know this because I mean we are also in marketing. There's yeah. what's easy to do. There's what people want to hear. Well, okay, but you can't overpromise either. Okay, what people want to hear is it's going to impact your life in two minutes and it's going to change things forever and you're never going to have another worry ever again. Well, that's not true for almost anything. So there's truth versus what's easy. And I don't think easy is the way that any true... Um, sportsman, I don't know what it would be called, salesmanship should be in the world because you're building a relationship. You're helping people do something that's going to last way longer than the short term. Hey, Rachel, I, I understand that we normally don't want to go over about an hour, but I I think we need to have one last yeah, go ahead. thing on this. First of all, <laughs> since we got on, our listeners have doubled live so this is something that people are really wanting to know about and have questions about. So as we wrap up here, if anybody has any questions, please type them and we'll stay on a little bit longer because obviously, the, you know, this, this explosion of listeners today, it's a very important topic for you, for everybody. And we appreciate all our listeners. Man, I am amazed at how many people talk about how much they listen and how much they appreciate our education, how much they appreciate our transparency and so on and so forth. And this is, we're, Rachel and I are motivated every day to continue to find good content for you guys, to continue to find good guests. We're really excited. We're going to have a, a, a world-renowned guest on in, uh, in the near future, and I'm going to give you a little tease on that. But you, but you're going to be really excited about that. Um, we are we're going to have Re, uh, Reverend Rabbi Lappin come on again in a few weeks, and everybody loves him. So it looks like nobody has any questions on my end, Rachel. But I just wanted to offer that to people because there seems to be a ton of listeners on today live. Well, Do you definitely have on, on your end. That's um, I don't see question. any. I don't see any additional questions, but I do just want to also reiterate what Bruce shared. I mean, this is probably three times what we normally see on a live show as well. So that means that this topic is important. And I'm very thankful that um, I'm thankful that that we are talking about something that matters to you and that it's something that's on your mind. So um, yeah, and please like and subscribe and share this with people because I know a lot of people are going to have questions about this. You can help the industry by actually uh, liking and subscribing and sharing this and get a point of view out there that uh, we took very seriously and we actually 
studied and looked for, you know, I reached out to our mass mutual representative. I reached out to other people in the industry to get their take on this. And Rachel and I wanted to present it to you as just as soon as possible. So please share this information to put everybody else's minds at ease. Mm, thank you for sharing that. And we did have one person earlier. I can't remember your name, um, but Paul, I think it was, that was asking about how to book a conversation with us. So I'm going to go ahead and just go through that for anyone who's listening. If you have questions, so Bruce is saying, even if you are not currently a money advantage client, what he means is if you currently have an infinite banking policy and you have questions about how to use it and you're not able to get the information that you need, or you don't know, we'd be happy to address that for you. So you can do one of two things. You can either go straight to themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. Well, I'm going to tell you the ways to do it, but I never finished my first thought. So um, <laughs> I'm going to come back to the first thought. Um, if you have an infinite banking policy, yes, you can talk to us. But also if you're the person who doesn't have an infinite banking policy yet and wants to, or wants to begin getting started with infinite banking, we would also love to help you. We'd love to have that conversation, walk through what your goals are, figure out what's important to you, how to figure out how to help you optimize and maximize your money today and in the future. You can do either of those. If you're either one of those people, you can go straight to themoneyadvantage.com. And on the website, there's a button that says schedule an appointment or something like that. Or you can go straight to the slash calendar. It'll take you directly to our booking page find a spot that works for you on that calendar. And we'd love to have that initial conversation and just dialogue about, is this the right fit um, in working together? You can also, if you have questions, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. So that's always another fallback. If some for some reason you can't find the booking page or you have a separate question that you'd like us to address on the show or that's specific to you and it wasn't something you wanted to bring up today publicly, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We'd love to help you there. And I yeah, will go so, ahead. Yeah, I know we're going to close here, but uh, actually Lou had another question. And Lou, I'm not trying to dodge your question, but that one is very difficult to answer without a lot more uh, information. So please reach out and we'll talk about your personal situation. My gut reaction to that is no, I would not do it. But there may be some reasons that you need to do it. And then Zach Atkins, who I've had many conversations with, he is not currently a... uh, money advantage client, but he is the kind of person we look for in our tribe. Zach has taken responsibility to become the best advisor himself. And he looks for other people to help him understand and share. And that's what we tell everybody. If, a, if an organization is not encouraging you to take responsibility to be the best advisor you could possibly be yourself, then you're not really deserving of building up wealth. And I know that's a frank statement and it's a, maybe it's a, a controversial statement, but if you, if you think this is get rich quick, um, it doesn't work like that. This has been around for 200 years because it's solid financial foundation. And Zach has been awesome about trumpeting this, even though he's not a money advantage client. And he does what we expect every one of our clients to do. And that is to actually become your best advisor. Um, Just because if somebody's listening later and they didn't see what those comments were, 
Um, Lou, Lou's question was, would it be worth for it for me to borrow at 2% for 12 months and use to top up my PUA? So that was the question um, that Bruce said, we're not going to answer um, directly here. That depends on your specific situation. So if that is a question for you, that's also the answer for you. We would need to talk with you directly. And then Zach's comment was, Bruce is great, always takes the time to answer my questions. And then Sans Huano, I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. Um, hello from Michigan. So hello back to you. Thank you so much for joining in on this conversation today. Um, we'll be back next week. And we're usually here on Wednesdays around 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, we look forward to hearing from you as well. So in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.